Accounts receivable. Hey, it's Mr. War on Terror Man. Hey, you. I am loving John McCain more than ever. And I'm very happy to hear He's that. a war hero, and war heroes win wars. Boom. Do it. Let's wake up. Get it going. Why don't you just kind of calm down? Have a latte. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go get one. Do you want one? Yeah, no, I'm good. I drink manly coffee, so, you know, thanks. I got a foot-long flaccid, and I drink lattes. David Reese, creator of Get Your War On and author of Get Your War On, the definitive account of the war on terror 2001 to 2008. Thank you very much for joining us at Lawrence.com. It's my pleasure. Nice to be back. Yes. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to your prior experience in Lawrence later on, but uh, let's start with the definitive account of the war on terror 2001 to 2008, basically a chronicle of the Bush years via the lens of Get Your War On. And the Bush years, as we're seeing right now with the economic meltdown and the war on terror and the various other wars in the Middle East, have been what most historians have objectively termed a disaster, just a worldwide catastrophe for humanity in general and the United States specifically. However, it's kind of led to the golden age of political comedy and I'm wondering if the prospect of an Obama administration kind of instills a sense of dread in you since, you know, peace and prosperity is not all that funny. Well, my plan has always been to quit, get your war on when Bush leaves office. So it doesn't matter to me who the next president is ah. as a cartoonist. I mean, obviously it matters to me as a citizen. But uh, I, my plan has always been to retire when Bush retires and hopefully enter into some kind of business venture with him. So <laughs> I know some people are nervous about what will happen if Obama becomes a president and all the problems in the world magically vanish, but I won't have to worry about that. If you're not able to go into some sort of baseball slash oil exploration venture with soon-to-be former President George W. Bush, what do you have planned, say, comic-wise after this upcoming election? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to keep making comics. I mean, I've been making animations of Get Your War On mm -hmm. for this website, 23.6, and that's been really fun. I'd be happy to keep doing that, making, writing the animations and directing them. But in terms of churning out weekly cartoons, uh, I think I'm going to get out of it. Unless I come up with some crazy new cartoon I can make that um, there's an overwhelming demand for. I had this cartoon that I made called Relation Shapes, and I thought I could sell it to a women's magazine because it's all about geometric shapes talking about their feelings. <laughs> and that meant I could draw all these really cool shapes and then write this really personal dialogue. And I put an announcement on my website that I would sell it to any women's magazine who is interested, because women, you know, they talk about their feelings and stuff. Sure. And uh, I had no takers, so that kind of discouraged me. So I don't know if if I will be making cartoons after I retire from the Get Your War On cartoon. Hmm. But hopefully I'll come up with another source of income. <laughs> well, you did mention the uh, Get Your War On animated series that's on 23.6 via the Huffington Post. Right. Um, what has that been like for you as primarily a, a cartoonist and, you know, a static illustrator to make that leap from 
the panel sequential art to online webisodes? Yeah, it's been really fun. You know, um, the people approached me about animating Get Your War On, and I knew there was this new humor website launching, and they asked if I would be interested in animating Get Your War On. And at first I tried to pitch them on just um, letting me just write about Thomas Friedman every week and just track him and his movements and his thoughts. But they insisted that they wanted to try animating the comic, which I had always resisted because it is kind of so static. I wasn't sure what animation would add to it. But on the other hand, I had always had this fantasy that if I if I ever did animate it, I would just try to animate the shit out of it. I mean, make it the most well-animated cartoon, make it look so good and realistic and fluid and not herky-jerky like the way a lot of Flash animation looks. Yeah. And... um then they suggested rotoscoping, which is the technique we wound up using. Which, and, which is basically uh, just like tracing over a moving image, right? Yeah, exactly. Like uh, in that movie, Waking Life. Yeah. It's the same studio down in Austin, Texas that did Waking Life. And um, they did a good job. You know, it, it looked just the way I wanted it to look, which is basically like someone breathed life into these clip art images. And um, so that sold me on how it would look and, you know, how it would what it would feel like to watch these guys moving. And then um, we did casting calls and, and found two voice actors who really kind of got as close to sounding like those voices sound in my head as possible. So that was kind of exciting. And then the writing is different than writing the weekly cartoon because it can be a little bit longer and more meandering. And so that's been fun. <laughs> so overall, I would say the project has been a lot of fun. Accounts payable. Hey, hey. Hey, what is up? Not much. Did you hear that McCain story about the cross in the dirt? No, what's uh, what's the story? All right, so check it out. So back when McCain's a POW, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. McCain was a POW? Uh, yeah. I never knew that. I guess he's reluctant to discuss it. You should talk about that more. Yeah. So he was a prisoner, right, for years, and he was losing hope. Yeah, he was like, boo-hoo, I'm getting tortured, and I'm not even a Muslim. And boo-hoo for me. Then... When he's at his lowest point, the absolute lowest point, mm -hmm. one of his guards comes over and gave just, him a BJ, right? That's what they did in those camps. Sucked him off. And drew a simple cross in the dirt. Whoa, that's heavy. Yeah. Wow. Very. So the guard was letting McCain know mm. that the Red Cross what? was coming to assess the conditions of his confinement. This was wow. not the wimpy-ass Red Cross here, man. This was the real cross. The Christian cross. What is that? I don't know, I don't know what you're talking right, about. Right, okay. You've never heard of the Christian cross? No. What Christian cross? The cross that Jesus was crucified on? Hello? The symbolic cross? Uh, hello? I don't know every obscure religious symbol. Obscure. Yeah. Okay, sorry yeah. I don't have a PhD in the semiotics of Christianity. You can't appreciate this I got a BA story. in English. You don't understand the role faith plays in John McCain's life. When the guard drew that cross, man, McCain felt hope. Why? Because in that moment, he knew that if he ever decided to run for president, he had a corny-ass story to tell evangelical voters. Oh! You said you would hope to continue doing this, but do you know, is there interest to continue doing Get Your War On after Bush leaves office? I have no idea. I don't know what will happen. I assume if it becomes extremely popular, they'll keep doing it. Mm -hmm. But I have a feeling that after... That I have this feeling that if Obama wins, 
there's going to be all of a sudden like an instantaneous burnout on social satire. <laughs> and that the few months between the election and Bush leaving office, everyone will stop paying attention to the news unless Bush bombs Iran or something. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know how much interest there'll be in sat there'll be in satire once Bush has left office. I mean if McCain is president, I'm sure there'll be a lot of satire. And even if Obama is and you know, if Obama is president then I'm sure conservatives will start generating satire as opposed to foreign policy. <laughs> Which is safer for all of us. Yeah, I guess so. I mean yeah. I'd rather have all the conservatives making fun of me than endangering me with their dumbass foreign policy <laughs> ideas. <laughs> but in the meantime, let's not fixate too much on this potentially dull and lifeless, satireless future. In the meantime, again, fucking gold mine. Almost too easy. In, in fact, we're, we've gotten to the point now where the news is a parody of itself and I'm wondering, from your point of view, is Sarah Palin too easy? Well, she strikes me as basically the worst person I've ever seen. <laughs> and um, she clearly is not intelligent. And I think it is, I think it is totally appropriate to make that observation because <laughs> not only is she kind of inarticulate, and not only is she inexperienced, but the real crime is she obviously has had no interest in foreign policy or matters extending beyond the state of Alaska uh, at any point in her life, which I think immediately disqualifies her. Um, not to mention that her religious views are idiotic and that she seems like a genuinely petty and small-minded and mean-spirited person. So you can make fun of any of those elements. I have spent some time making fun of her uh, retarded views on abortion. <laughs> but I think it's just as vital to make fun of all the people in America who were so captivated by her when she first burst on the scene. I don't remember when it was, like three days ago. It feels <laughs> like it was just yesterday. She exploded out of nowhere. John McCain obviously spent months and months vetting her and discussing foreign policy with her in extended brainstorming sessions. Um, and then the rest of us kind of got to know her really quickly. And for some reason, everybody seemed to think she was a great pick. So I think it's more interesting to make fun of that than it is to actually make fun of her, maybe? Mm -hmm. Because, I don't know. I mean, she is such an idiot. The idea that John McCain would pick her as his running mate is insane. The end. <laughs> it is hard to yeah, it is hard to make fun of it because it's like, what are you fucking kidding me? Mm -hmm. Is this all a game to you? John McCain is such an idiot. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty hot. Obviously, satire just rolls off my tongue. <laughs> <Hot> satire. <laughs> <laughs> that was a uh, that was a bit too subtle. That kind of flew over my head there. <laughs> I know. Sometimes when you have to like read it two or three times to get the subtext, it's like, why bother? <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan Swift. Right, exactly. <laughs> While we do have the election going on, it's kind of like a, a pig rolling around in slop, both for the media and for satirists alike. Are you anywhere near burnout 
I reached that point in November of 2004 when I was convinced I was going to be able to retire, and then I got another four-year extension <laughs> on my tour of, of duty. But, um, yeah, I'm totally burnt out. I can't stand it. I can't stand reading the news. It's totally depressing. Um, I think I think the age of um, American affluence is totally come to an end. I think like every empire in history, we've overextended ourselves, and through a combination of hubris and ignorance and selfishness, we've kind of written our own um, death warrant. And um, I think the future does not belong to America. It belongs to China and India. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, so I'm totally sick of following the news. Uh, Afghanistan is spiraling out of control. I mean, it was never truly pacified and democratized, but it, things look really bleak there in Pakistan. Uh, I have no sense if, if Iraq is going to be able to be a functioning society. And... Um, and yet, as satirists, we're kind of called on to make fun of, like, whatever the breaking news of the day is about some idiotic thing that that idiot woman Sarah Palin said, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm totally burnt out and disgusted with all of it. Yeah. Is that too subtle? Uh, no, be? no, no. Uh, if, if anything, I, I thought that was pitch perfect and uh, had just enough zest and uh, wackiness to it. I don't want to be subtle because I know podcasts, it's hard to pick hard to pick up subtlety in podcasts because mp3 encoding you lose a lot of the yeah. high and low frequencies and yes the, the so. humor gets compressed yeah. Yeah. yeah in person i'm much more subtle but i'm but i'm dialing down the subtlety for the sake of the for the um digital audio medium i i thank you and our listeners thank you accounts receivable What's up? Dude, did you hear about Sarah Palin and the Rape Kits? Sarah Palin and the Rape Kits? Yeah. Sounds like a punk band. Are they good? Can you be serious for a second? All right. Her policy was to build rape victims for their own rape kits, man. Good. What? It gets women invested in catching their rapists. You don't think that maybe someone else could cover that expense? Mm-mm. Maybe cut the rape victims some slack? You know, seeing as they've just been raped and all. It's called female empowerment, dude. Equal rights. How'd you like it if your wife or daughter had to get a second job to pay off their own rape kits? Well, that would be a very awkward job interview. What? Yes, uh, why do you want to work at Sam's Club? Oh, well, I was just raped, and now I need to pay off the cost of the rape kit because it's my fault. Also, Palin wants to make abortion illegal for rape victims. As it should be. He's so fucking yeah. twisted, man. It's like she's taking meetings with the National Rapist Lobby or something. Here's what she should do. What? She should allow the rapists to invoice the victims for the time spent raping them. Yeah. That's not free time, friend. It's almost as if a rapist rubbed a magic lamp and then Sarah Palin popped out and gave him three wishes and said, You know, hi, you know, hit one, go rape some poor lady. Whoa, good and, Sarah Palin. And then go make the lady pay for her own rape kit. I'm guessing some rapists probably flew to Wasilla just for the raping. You know, they were like, Yeah, it's just a, uh, it's a great place to rape. You know, I flew in on the water plane, landed on Lake. Gosh, my gosh. And uh, checked into the motel, went and had a little halibut sandwich out at the cafe, and then got to raping. Maybe that's why McCain picked her, man. Come for the fishing, stay for the rape. Maybe McCain wants to develop a rape-based economy. But, um, hey, speaking of Sarah Palin, dinosaurs. 
I noticed on your website that you're kind of going through a dinosaur appreciation renaissance right now. Um, dinosaur week on my website, and we're going to learn. We're learning all about dinosaurs. What are some of the marvelous and wonderful scientific facts about dinosaurs that you've come across during Dinosaur Week? Well, you know, like a lot of people, like a lot of liberal arts graduates, I used to think dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. But uh, obviously the Los Angeles Times published an article this week revealing that Sarah Palin insisted in a casual conversation that um, dinosaurs lived 6,000 years ago and overlapped with humans, and she has seen a fossil of a human footprint inside a dinosaur footprint, which to her proves the case. <laughs> so I thought I better revisit some of my assumptions about dinosaurs, you know, that I had been brainwashed into believing over the years. So I'm rooting around in my mind and doing a lot of prayer to undercover the, uncover the deeper truths about dinosaurs that you may you might not pick up on if you're relying on you know, scientific texts and empirical research, all that stuff. And I've called for a huge project um, to build a large hadron collider of prayers that's capable of smashing prayers into each other at the speed of light like we're doing with particles mm -hmm. with the uh, hadron super collider in Europe. And if we can smash these prayers into each other uh, with maximum velocity and maximum force and maximum piety, we should un unlock further secrets of the universe. And hopefully there'll be new information about dinosaurs that we'll discover. Maybe they only lived uh, 600 years ago. We just won't know until we build the collider. We won't know truly when dinosaurs disappeared until we build the collider or until one of us just stumbles onto a living, breathing dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, in which case, everybody's assumptions are totally thrown out the window. And don't we Probably feel silly making fun of Sarah Palin? Exactly. <laughs> because you know what? If we found a living, breathing dinosaur, Sarah Palin would have been closer to the truth than all the scientists. Because 6,000 years ago is so much closer to today than what I don't like. Look, I don't know shit about dinosaurs. I don't, if you told me they lived a million years ago, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> if you told me they lived 400 million years ago, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds right. I mean, making fun of Sarah Palin, because fucking know they didn't live 6,000 years ago. But anything, but if someone came up to me and said, okay, smarty pants, why don't you write down when dinosaurs live? I'd be like, I don't know. But I'm still smarter than her. That's what's so depressing. <laughs> That's true. You are just as qualified to be vice president of the United States based on your knowledge of dinosaurs. Except for one little thing, which is that I don't have executive experience. Oh, that's so right. She yeah. beats me on that. Yes. Nor were you on the Wasilla PTA. So. Yeah, I never ran that dump-ass little town, Wasilla, <laughs> Alaska. Such a dump. God Jesus damn it. Christ. Why do we have to be polite about everybody who lives in small towns? Uh, because it's um, the heartland. I, I, don't, I don't know. You see, I believe that. Like in a state like Kansas, I'll never make fun of anyone in Kansas. Um, but Alaska is not the heartland. It's way the fuck off in the middle of nowhere. It's not. It's not. It's nowhere near the heartland. Yeah, it's mostly like a zit on Canada's ass. Exactly. Or on <laughs> Russia's ass, as you know, it borders Russia. So that's true. It's a zit that can see Putin's head floating exactly. in airspace, which is, makes me think of Time Bandits and the uh, visage of God chasing after the midgets. Just replace that with Putin's head. 
chasing after a little tiny Alaskan. Yes. Short, stumpy little Alaskan. <laughs> shortest, shortest average height of any state in the Union because they only get 30 minutes of sunlight a day. That's why she had a tanning bed installed in the government's mansion. We were talking about ancient history and when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Let's talk about your own personal history. Get Your War On was actually carried by Lawrence.com back in the day. Uh, yeah, that was fun. That was exciting. Yeah, and I was just wondering, um, since it launched kind of with Lawrence.com, do you think that you can trace your current fame and fortune directly back to us? Yeah. I mean, I don't like to admit that when I'm on the East Coast because we kind of have nothing but sneering contempt for all you people in the middle. Sure, sure. But um, when I'm alone with my thoughts, I do have to admit to myself that I owe most of everything to um, to Lawrence.com and um, to the staff and everyone I've met there over the years. And I always just hope that some of that Heartland authenticity that just drips off you guys, mm-hmm. like candle wax, <laughs> would kind of rub off on me. And I try to, I try to take your love of family and pies and um, uh, quilts and um, bonnets, and I try to share those values with my East Coast friends when they're not doing cocaine or planning terror attacks, or community organizing. As long as you don't forget your roots. Well, you know, my relationship with Lawrence has always been very controversial because much as I admire the heartland and try to internalize its lessons, I know that all of you Lawrence people uh, resent and envy me because I grew up in Chapel Hill, which is (laughs) a, a better home for Roy Williams than Lawrence ever was. Yeah, and bastion of elitism, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Chapel Hill could out Lawrence Lawrence, basically. <laughs> if they had a nationwide Lawrence impersonation contest where every town in America had to try to do their best Lawrence impersonation. You ever hear that famous story about how Charlie Chaplin once, as a joke, entered a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest and came in second? It would be just like that, you know? Everyone lines up. Lawrence would come in second in its own Lawrence impersonation contest because Chapel Hill would beat him at beat him at their own game. Because you guys have uh, what Massachusetts Street? Isn't that your big street? It is. Yes. Chapel Hill. We have Franklin Street. Franklin Street is more like Massachusetts Street than Massachusetts Street is. So think on that. <laughs> and, you, and you guys have your little bird. What is it, a parakeet or a sparrow or a starling or something? Hey, hey it's the Jayhawk. Some kind of flightless dodo. You find. In Chapel Hill, we have a ram, a mighty ram, an alpha male. And um, it does a better job, I think, of, of, of rousing Tar Heels to victory than your... Um, what is it like? It's like an ostrich or a penguin? It's a... Uh, Whatever that is. Yeah, it, it, it's technically a jayhawk, which uh, doesn't exist anywhere in nature. It's the same bird. Didn't they license it to Fruit Loops? Isn't it the same bird as the Fruit Loops mascot? <laughs> Trying to find sugar cereal. Yes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Our towns are friends. Everybody's friends. <laughs> We're just busting each other's balls here. Yeah. Sports uh, talk. Sports <laughs> rivalry talk. AM560. <laughs> Sports talk radio. That's going to be my second career. You know, we will just cross-post this podcast on the uh, sports page uh, for the, the town newspaper. I think the only 
seamless transition. Anything about is men's college basketball, and I only know about it for four weeks in March when everything is going crazy. <laughs> so I think, in a way, I would be the ideal sports radio. Exactly. Because <laughs> people would call up and be like, "Yo, we're going to talk about the Bruins. What's going on with these with these hat tricks?" I'm like, "Great point, buddy." Great point. What is going on? And then, because a good radio host is a facilitator, I would just sit there and listen. I'd be like, "Sounds good to me." Just like with the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about sports, <laughs> but I just like, you know, why I like sports radio. Sometimes when I get in the car and I'm, um, my wife and I have a terrible CD collection. We don't have any music to listen to, so we're always listening to the radio in the car. Sometimes I turn to AM radio and I hear some guy like yelling and screaming and he's really upset. I'm like, oh God, some right wing idiot asshole talking about foreign policy. And then it turns out to be some guy talking about like the Patriots or the, the, you know, Buffalo, Buffalo Bulls or whatever. And then I get so relieved like, oh, thank God. He's not talking about anything important. He's talking about that fantasy realm uh, <laughs> where, where, where people go in their minds called sports realm. And I get, and then I get really reassured. I feel like I could be one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is comforting. And what, you know, I think you're actually selling yourself a bit short from what I gather. You do have a bit of a competitive streak in you. And so I hear last time you were in town, you did in fact get drunk and play Scrabble at the replay lounge. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the replay lounge. Um, my wife and I stopped through Lawrence on our way to get married in Las Vegas, and um, we had a fun night at the Replay Lounge once. So whenever I go back to Lawrence, I always go to the Replay Lounge. And so the last time I was in Lawrence, oh, when was that, 2004 or 2003? Um, yeah, we went to the Replay Lounge, and um, they had some kind of deal where you could get, like, a beer and a shot for, like, 75 cents or buck 25 and I had too much to drink and I was playing Scrabble and then by the end I was being really obnoxious and just like placing my tiles kind of like scattered all over the board like constellation words where maybe the tiles didn't have to be adjacent to each other and then I think I got kicked out of the game I think I defaulted and um, I always felt really bad about that I always felt like I had um, alienated all my new friends in Lawrence and now they probably there's probably like this this brutal whisper campaign or fucking full full throated screaming campaign against me because I because I was such a horrible Scrabble player. But um, yeah, what can you do? I burned my bridges. You know, I'm never I'm never going back through the to the red red states, flyover states. Spend my life on East Coast and the West Coast. Well, uh, we wish you the best of luck in your uh, elitist liberal shishi enclaves. I desperately want the approval of, of Lawrence, and I do feel bad about that. No, no. From what I get, I, I apologize I, to the replay lounge, and I apologize <laughs> to everyone I played Scrabble with that night. See, this is the interesting thing. I'm a, I'm, an, I'm not a belligerent drunk or an angry drunk. I become like really like sentimental and nostalgic when I get drunk. Mm-hmm. But I am an extremely competitive Scrabble player <laughs> and kind of humorless and aggressive and kind of tyrannical when it comes to the rules and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I think in that one moment, that was the first time I had ever had a lot to drink and played Scrabble simultaneously. So it was like these two warring sides of my personality, you know? On the one hand, having some beers and then being like, oh, God, I love the replay lounge. You guys got it so good here in Lawrence. Oh, this is the greatest place on earth. But then on the other hand, you know, I was 
locking horns in a Scrabble battle, and you know there can, there can be no surrender, no compromise. <laughs> you know, it's my duty. To it was that Chapel Hill so Ram inside of you. That a, alpha male came out. Yeah, I think I kind of suffered a some kind of uh, psychological break there between those two sides of my personality. So slowly trying to be getting the process of, of piecing piecing my mind back together again so I can be a cohesive humunculus. <laughs> we, we welcome uh, your little man uh, that was conjured up by alchemy back in Lawrence at any point. Okay. We, we want uh, you here. We want you playing Scrabble, man. For some future project or whatever. Teller's still there? Teller's, the restaurant in the old bank? It is, yes. All right. Happy <laughs> to hear it. I tell you what, David Reese, we will keep a seat warm for you at Teller's and also at Replay Lounge, and we will we'll keep your Scrabble tiles uh, warm as well. Thank you very, very much for joining us here at Lawrence.com, and best of luck with the release of Get Your War On, the definitive account of the War on Terror 2001 to 2008. Thank you very much. Goodbye, Lawrence. <laughs> Accounts payable. Dude, I got to ask you a question about this financial crisis, man. What crisis? What? I just went to Target and bought a bag of boots for a dollar. Mm -hmm. I can cook the boots and live in the bag. So don't tell me we're in a crisis. Things are fine. This is good times here, friend. And I'm kidding, because we are totally fucked beyond belief. It's a fucking nightmare right now. It's getting ridiculous, man. So do you still want to privatize Social Security? Uh, hell yes. If you can't play with the big dogs, you go die on the porch. You dumb, hungry old person. Well, when the government bails out all these financial institutions and shit, you know, isn't it really because all these dudes know each other? They all hang out at the same sushi restaurants, the same sailboat docks, the same strip clubs, whatever. They all hang out the same places, man. Not whatever. It's called the Isle of Davos. It's where all the rich people go. They put on tribal makeup and they buttfuck copies of Atlas Shrugged and Slurp Oysters out of Thomas Friedman's belly oh, yo, stop. Yeah. Oh, we, oh, we just went there. You believe that. So we're going to blow a trillion dollars on this crap now, man. I just, why can't we just give that money to poor oh people? Oh, my God, you are so naive. You can't trust poor people with money. What are you talking about? That's why they're called poor people. Because they're irresponsible. And because of the smell. So instead, I'm supposed to listen to guys like wrinkledy-ass Alan Greenspan, right? Mm -hmm. That man wouldn't notice a freaking housing bubble if it floated out of his nose. Uh, don't you say anything bad about that man. He's a nice man. All right, all right, look, man, okay, you're right. It's time for us to get beyond this partisan nonsense. And really just come together as Americans. To kill all the bankers and steal all the rich people's money. Hey, um, you want to buy one of my kids? Nice white baby. How much and what does he eat? You name the price and he eats tip. <laughs>